talked about how these skills um, can be used for across multiple contexts, and that's what inspires and encourages me. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, friends. This is Kim Skorupski, the Associate Dean for Faculty Development at the Johns Hopkins Office of Faculty Development. And on today's episode, I'm so happy that we have Dr. Elaine Schulte. Dr. Schulte is the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs and Faculty Development and a Professor of Pediatrics at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore. Welcome, Elaine. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's good to talk with you. Well, I'm so happy that you've joined us, and I'm really excited about the topic and and where you work and learning more about what you do, and especially, um, I guess I'm not going to tell people what you're going to talk about, but I I know that we both were in Chicago at the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs Conference last year, and when I read up about you and saw what you're doing, I thought definitely it'd be great to have you on the podcast, and so thank you so much for reaching out. And why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your personal story, like how you got into the vice chair um, role there at Montefiore? Sure. Well, you know, I started out, uh, this is um, now my third academic home. And my first academic home, I started out in residency education. Very shortly after I joined the faculty, I became involved as an associate PD, and then I became the program director. I loved working with residents, and I quickly realized that your residency program is only as good as your faculty. So um, shortly after my five-year stint as a program director, I shifted focus to try to learn about what I could do to support faculty in their own professional development. And I had a role as a division chief for a very small division in my first home. And then I moved to my second academic home where I was a department chair and had a much larger um, responsibility. And now I'm the vice chair, as you said, at the Children's Hospital. So um, I've had a variety of leadership roles and have really spent most of my career focusing on supporting faculty in their professional development. I've also done a lot of work in my own uh, pediatric professional organizations, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as the Academic Pediatric Association, uh, on helping um, faculty with their own professional development and uh, sort of leadership development. So you told me you don't work in the School of Medicine per se. You're in the hospital, the Children's Hospital at Montefiore. What does uh, the... um, what is the function of the academic affairs and faculty development there in um, the pediatrics in the hospital? Like who's, who's doing what? What are the activities that um, happen on an ongoing basis? Uh, this role was actually created to support all the pediatric faculty. At, you know, like most health systems, we're spread out all over the place. And many of the pediatric faculty, physicians and PhDs, couldn't get to the programming that's held at Einstein at the medical school. So the chair at the time wanted to create an office inside the department where somebody could be nearby, close to the children's hospital, in the administrative section of the children's hospital in the Department of Pediatrics, right there to help develop programming and support for all the faculty. So 
I basically walked into my dream job and I got to create what I thought would be really important for our faculty. So I work with the department chair, the vice chairs, the division chiefs and other members of our leadership, um, as well as other departments inside the medical school and as well as the uh, human resources. I also work um, with the non-physician folks to create programming around professional development. We're very engaged in helping people with orientation, um, with leadership development programming, with um, faculty promotion, with Mm -hmm. peer coaching and mentoring, with professionalism, and we also support a well-being committee. Wow. Wow. How big is the department? I mean, how big is this, um, I don't want to say the hospital, but I mean, how many faculty do you have in PEDS? Yeah, so so our Department of Pediatrics is about 330 physicians and PhDs. Wow. Can you tell us something you do there that is unique or different at Montefiore? So one of the things I was so excited to bring to Montefiore was my background and experience in coaching and mentoring. And Everybody loves coaching. Um, You know, you are just perfectly situated, and this is just um, such a hot topic in our field. So I was so glad to have you come on and talk about it. But all right, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a very hot topic, and um, I'll go back to my prior institution. I was at the Cleveland Clinic for ten years, and I when I first got there, my charge was to take a department and really blow it up. I had to put people in five different hospitals, and um, so I had to hire a lot of people and create standardized order sets. And the organization is so big. It was big and it's even bigger now. And it's like, how do you get your head around a place like this? And how do I help my faculty network and meet people who are doing, you know, sort of the same sorts of things or like-minded people? How do I help my folks find the basic scientists so they can do translational stuff? How do I connect surgeons to primary care doctors? And in my travels, shortly after I arrived there, I met my dear friend and working colleague, thinking partner, Dr. Andrea Sikon, who is the chair of internal medicine there. And we decided to create, a, um, at the time, a mentoring program. There had been a needs assessment for um, the Department of Medicine that suggested that what people really wanted in order to uh, retain them and help them develop was a formal mentorship program. So we set out to do this, and we were going to make it institution-wide. And we did our research. We talked to other programs to learn about their successes and failures. And then we just started thinking, what could we do to make our program different? And in our discovery period, we came upon this concept of a coach. And we didn't even know what coaching was back then. But we just um, heard about a relationship that somebody had with a very esteemed faculty member who we all knew. And what this person was really doing was not mentoring. This person was asking colleagues questions to help raise their self-awareness. And she didn't even know she was coaching, but that's what she was doing. And so we said, hey, let's create a program like this and we'll introduce this notion of coaching. And the program will be designed so people across the organization can meet each other. They can come into a relationship with one another. Someone will be the coach. Someone will be the coachee. And we'll also put mentors in our program. So we'll bring people who are self you know, declared content experts and 
between the coach and the coachee, they can figure out whether they need specific mentorship in education, in well-being, in research, whatever it is. We'll, we'll have a group of people to provide that sort of mentorship. So we just made this up and we uh, had an external coach who was working um, for the clinic at the time in our, in the, the, with the executives. And he provided some guidance for us and help us put our original training program together. And then he went uh, by the wayside due to funding issues and we were left on our own and we just um, took off. We both completed our own coaching certifications programs and we're board certified coaches now. And we built a team of people to help us. We have a whole team of mentor coaches who we trained and um, created uh, a variety of programs really to help people get in these relationships with one another. Um, So nothing that we ever thought would take off. And over the years there, we discovered that people who stuck together in this program and they worked together as a coach and a coachee reported higher engagement, higher resilience, higher professional fulfillment, and the coaches reported using their coaching skills, not only in their coaching relationship with their coachee, but with their patients, mm. with their peers, and in their personal lives. What an so, anticipated benefit. Yes, that surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, yet we were just, we we're you know just so happy that um, you know it worked and it stuck. And you know, in in our early program design, we thought really carefully about you know some of the critical success factors that are required to make a program. You can't send somebody to be coached or to be mentored. They have to want to go. So it's voluntary. You have to have a structure around the program. You have to train people. So, you know, we're not, we don't train people to become coaches. That's not what we're set up to do in our curriculum. We set up coaching fundamentals. So we train people to use coaching skills, the coaching skills of asset-based thinking, listening, empathy, and how to use empowering language to really ask those thought-provoking questions Mm. to raise others' awareness. This is just, I I love this stuff, and I'm admitting that I want to learn more about it, but it seems seems like a lot. And I wonder, is, is coaching probably geared more naturally to people who have, are more like in psychology or have a, the social work kind of a background, or is this mm-hmm. can somebody um, who doesn't come from this kind of a background or naturally have that kind of um, a demeanor or character, you know, can they, can we learn these things? I mean, cause when you said thought provoking questions, you know, I guess it's, it probably comes naturally for scientists because we're all trained to think critically and and follow trails to discovery. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, someone like me who's not, again, I've not read books about it, but I'm just forever intrigued by this coaching. And and how does, um how do you like start, pretend like in, in your sessions, how do you even begin this whole coaching fundamentals? Like what's on day one? Yeah. So you, I mean, you raised so many, so many great points. And um, one point that I definitely want to address is it's really hard to teach these skills to physicians and scientists. 
we are naturally curious people. We are always trying to solve, you know, the problem, fix something, ask why, why, why. And those questions are all for our own benefit. So when you work with physician scientists and you want to teach them coaching skills, they have like a major, major roadblock. Many of them do at least because they want to ask the questions for themselves. But when they're you know, in the coaching role, the questions aren't for themselves. Yes, sometimes we always say, yes, sometimes you need a little bit of background to understand and know the person. But the questions that you're asking aren't for your purpose. Therefore, the other person's purpose. Mm. So that's why you have to listen really carefully. You have to use empathy. You have to use empowering language. So we always tell people when we start with this training, okay, right now you all think that this is kind of fluff and you think it's a soft, these are soft skills. And we're going to tell you right now that you are living in the unconsciously incompetent world. And by, you know, halfway through this training, we're going to immerse you into being consciously incompetent. And it's going to feel really awful. And you're going to feel uncomfortable and you're not going to like it. But we promise by the end of the training, some days are some, are, some of our trainings are a day, some days are two days, some trainings are four days. By the end of the training, we promise we're going to get you on the road to conscious competence. Oh and my gosh. I love so that. It's so funny. Unconscious, incompetent world. That must be, yeah, you just have to be rocking people's worlds because that it's a mind blowing, humbling experience to be, to be told you're going to get in, uh, unconscious incompetence and to be settling into that or acknowledging or recognizing that you're right. Because I, I yeah. took a course on mediation and I was so furious with myself that I couldn't get it. But what you just said, Elaine, is exactly right. Like I, when I, we practice, you know, person A and person B have this conflict and I'm trained to be, in, now I'm training to be a mediator. And my instinct was, was to say, well, what'd you do? What did you say? Who said what? Well, why'd you do this? And how about just fix that? And come on, you know, get this together. This is ridiculous. I think you should just blah, 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 blah. And my head almost exploded like the whole week because I was so frustrated by that purposeful, as you're saying, it's not about you, Kim. This isn't about you figuring out the what happened mm. and what went wrong. The goal in mediation is for them to have a transformational yes. experience and they have to come to terms. And I was just, I could, it was so hard for me because as you said, I was like thinking, hello, it's so obvious what you need to do. And so I'm sure with the coaching, as you were talking, it just made me think of the same thing. Oh my gosh, I would would have gone nuts in, in that first class with you because you're so right that, you know, it's not about you and the, your, your problem. It's, it's not for you to figure out what they should do in their life or what they should choose. Right. And it's, it's them. So, oh my gosh, God bless you and, and figuring out this and talking yeah. people off the cliff, I'm sure, yeah. who are like, unconscious incompetence, inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, you, you, again, you raise so many fun points why we love this so much. You know, we always tell people, you know, if these folks had the answer, they would have already solved their problem. People usually show up for coaching because they're stuck. And you're not in their head. So you don't know what they think. You don't know how they think. So, you know, why on earth do you think that your answer is the right one? And they're like, 
Hmm. Okay, I guess that makes sense. And then the other point, you know, to share with physicians and scientists is, you know, you're like, you folks are professionals, you're masters at your craft. When was the last time you learned a new skill? It's really hard. It's really hard to humble yourself. So, you know, again, you asked about the course and how it's structured. We spend a lot of time in the beginning of the course on relationship building. Mm. So, you know, you have to have a fair amount of trust and you have to be willing to be vulnerable because we ask people to do some stuff that's pretty uncomfortable. You know, back to your question about, you know, folks in mental health, those folks usually have a little more proclivity when they come in. And we like to have those folks in our course because they bring a different perspective, um, practicing mental health. Uh, and actually, sometimes primary care doctors you know, do a lot of motivational interviewing, which is similar. Mm. Um, but th- this is slightly nuanced. And um, we- we'd love to have those folks in the, in the training because they do bring a, um, a, a different sensitivity and approach. And we learn a lot from them, too. So it's fun. You are clearly excited about it, and um, just I could just feel your passion. And I'm sure people, after they get over that the trauma, someone like me after day one, I'm sure they just love this. <laughs> yes, they, yes. People people report um, feeling traumatized, and uh, you know, in our courses that go beyond a day, we assign homework in the evening, which is usually go home and you know try one of these skills out with somebody you live with or somebody you see or talk to, and people come back the next morning and just report out that. Well, you know, my, you know, my, my partner was like, where were you today? Or like, <laughs> who are you? Like, why are you talking like this? So it's not, uh, it's not a way that we typically interact with no. people, no. at least in some of the training. And so. in academic medicine, I'm, I'm sure the additional challenge is always this, you know, go, 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 hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. In, in my, mm-hmm. I, I'm a I'm an off the charts extrovert, as you and I were just talking before we started recording here. And I, um, I talk to think. So I just, you know, throw out a bunch of words and keep, you know, piling words, 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 and hope that something interesting comes out. You know, I, I like to be just as surprised by what comes out of my mouth as everyone else. And so mm-hmm. this, this talking, talking, and always talking over each other and interrupting each other, to me, it's always reflective of this this pace in academic medicine that we don't have time to sit around and bandy about these concepts. You know, my other friend, colleague, Rachel, Dr. Rachel Levine, is a um, general medicine practitioner, and she's our associate dean for faculty development and education. And she, it's funny, she schedules in, in her calendar every week thinking time. A deep, no, she, she calls it deep thinking and I said, what do you mean? She said, I actually have to schedule thinking time. And it's called deep thinking. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, I think deeply. <laughs> and so this idea, of time, you know, nobody's got time. Hurry, hurry, hurry. So we're forever interrupting each other. And as you said, Elaine, we always want to, like, cut to the chase. I'll fix it. Solve it. Move on. What's the problem? I've identified yeah. it. I got the answer. You know, question asked and answered. Let's move. And so, this is such. You know, this coaching you're, with the, you're doing with your mentors and mentees must be an additional. The added benefit is that you're providing a space for people to just pause and slow down, and not be in such a yank to fly through and consider there may be other lenses or frames through which we can explore things. And our, our tendency to always 
hurry up and fix things um, certainly leads us into problems with people like me with a big mouth. And perhaps we're, we're not mm-hmm. exploring all possibilities because we're always hurrying, hurrying. So I think another beautiful thing about what you're doing, Elaine, is this, this conscious, consciously slowing down and reminding ourselves and being thoughtful is another way of uh, slowing down that monkey brain, you know, that, that lizard brain of hurry, 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 you know, stopping the chatter. Yeah. Oh, you you are absolutely right on on so many points. Uh, people don't understand why it takes a full day or two days to go through the training, and it's because you have to take the time to slow down. And you know, when we have folks practicing these skills, and number one, they're given the space to do that with support, and number two. Not only are they practicing skills, they practice with each other. So somebody practices coaching and the other person is the coachee and they're using like real life examples of things that are going on in their lives. And one of the outcomes, and we know this because we've done this for so long, is people are like, oh my God, I don't think anybody's ever listened to me Mm. for 20 minutes or 30 (laughs) minutes or however long our practice sessions are and how good that feels. Yes to be listened to and heard. And we know in medicine right now, this is exactly what people are dying for. They just want to be heard. They want to be understood and they want to feel valued. And that's what some of these skills, particularly the listening skills and the use of empathy, that's what it provides for people. And they really, really like it. And, you know, administrators uh, sort of bristle at a full day training, or you're going to take these folks offline for two days. Do you need a full two days? And our participants typically say, yeah, you really, really do. And, you know, so then they go back to their work lives and they use these skills and, you know, they say, oh my God, I have to spend a half an hour talking to somebody. And we're like, yeah. And what happens when you go into a patient room and you ask instead of anything else before you leave, what other questions do you have? Guess what? You take care of all those things for that person. And then that person doesn't come back and see you next week and the mm-hmm. week after and the week after because you were in such a hurry and you didn't listen well that they needed to come back wow. for more help. So they mm-hmm. see the, the participants see the applications and how it, you know, it can benefit them in multiple aspects of oh their lives. Gosh. That is just so amazing. I just love. I just love everything you're saying, and I can see so many. I mean, you've already given examples of how it's a win on so many aspects of our lives, professionally with mm-hmm. patients, certainly in the lab and in the in the office mm-hmm. with staff and with colleagues and collaborators and people you love in your homes. I mean, that just reminder, that little, that extra nudge of turning on that reminder, that's right, it's not about me, this is, you know, this is something unique here, let's listen with a little bit more empathy, let's not kind of rush to judgment, there's a, my story is not the only story yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> yep, now you, you've, you've got it, and, you know, I'll share what we're doing at Montefiore now, using these coaching skills, I've created a different type of program, one that the team in the department really wanted, they wanted formal mentorship, and I said, that's great, we're going to introduce coaching skills into this model because I know that they're effective and I want this program to sustain. So we created a what we call a peer mentoring, uh, peer mentoring groups. And in our groups, it's not a one-on-one, it's three junior people, a coach and a mentor. 
And they've all been trained to use these coaching skills and they, they meet typically once every four to six weeks and every mentee gets a turn talking about one of their short-term goals and the groups are constructed based on area of interest. So, so a, a typical group might be, they might be a bunch of researchers or they're, they're trying to get a publication out or they're trying to write grants. They don't know one another to start and I can tell you from this program's gone on now for almost two years, some of our groups, they use, they use these skills without even thinking. And they also report, particularly the junior people are so excited to start mentoring. They didn't think they had the abilities to do this. They're excited to work with colleagues they don't know. They're excited to work with one another. And we haven't been able to measure this yet, but my belief is that people who are enrolled in this program are also becoming much more academically productive than if they hadn't participated in oh this gosh. particular program. Elaine, absolutely. You're, you're, you're giving faculty members confidence and knowledge and skills. How can that, that that's absolutely have to be associated with minimizing the isolation, which we all have in academia. Yes. We see this all the time. And the burnout, yes. you know, minimizing burnout mm-hmm. and just instilling people the sense of belonging and a, being a part of yep. something and having yeah. a, a community, of a, a tribe. I've got people who get me and care about me, and then that excitement about sharing it and to the to the next generation of learners and going right. on. That's definitely right. viral. I can see how that is a good way of um, building community. So super innovative. I love the peer mentoring group yeah. with the coach and the mentor. That's yeah, incredibly yeah, amazing. yeah. It's 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 so much fun. It's so much fun to watch these junior folks really kind of thrive and. Um, learn to rely on each other. You know, some of these groups that have been going on for a while, you know, I just sit back and watch it happen. My, my job as the coach in the group is to make sure that nobody asks a close-ended question or uses some, you know, language that I would prefer that they don't use, but they're, you know, they're pretty much on cruise control. Uh, and, and you know, it's the, this design is not perfect. Getting five people together is really hard and and getting them together on a regular basis is really hard. Um, uh, Particularly when you're spread out geographically, initially I didn't want people, I only wanted people to meet face to face because I thought that was so important and people just said, we can't do it. So now I, I do allow zoom. And the cool thing about zoom is that you can actually See everybody's face at the same time versus when you sit around a table, mm. it's harder to do that. Ooh. So it's like I can I can watch everybody's facial expressions and response and they can see mine even when I'm not talking. And I try not to do a lot of talking. I try to mostly listen. And, you know, when my mentor is giving very specific advice, I can see how they're reacting. And, and uh, it's just fun. It's been really fun to play with. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Now that we're all doing these Zoom things and this. Yeah. This corona era, era, I didn't realize, but yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you have nothing else to look at, but the pictures of everybody else there. So interesting right. observation. Right. I love it. Right. Yeah. <sighs> right. Yeah. So you you shared something. It's clear again. I just you're just jumping through the through the speaker on how excited you are. And this is clearly something super innovative. You've shared a lot of stories. Is there something else you'd like to impart with us? You know, we always like to certainly land on some, you know, building our community and encouraging each other and sharing little tidbits of wisdom, which you've done already. Would, um, is there something else you'd like to share with us? 
Well, I, I think, uh, and again, you already touched on it. Um, the, you know, the two things that are so cool about teaching physicians these skills is that they can use these skills in multiple multiple ways. They can use them at work. They can use them at home. And we've actually tailored some of our programming to like very specific skills. So you can use a coach approach to feedback. You can use a coach approach to quality improvement. You can use a coach approach to mentorship. You can use a coach approach to leadership. Can you imagine that? And, you know, and, and, and the nuance there is that leaders can't always use coaching skills. Sometimes they just have to lead. It's like people, you know, I'm a pediatrician and people always say, oh, you must use these kids, you know, skills with your kids all the time. And I said, you know what? I do. But sometimes you just have to be a parent and tell them what to do. Um, we, we use uh, coach approach to the annual review. Mm. So instead of, you know, sitting with your junior person and running the metrics and saying, great, you did a good job you can have more of a coaching conversation. Yeah. So again, raising their awareness. Well, how would you think like, how would you like things to look for you in the next three months? What's most important to you? You know, here's another, here's another story, something that we do in our teaching. Uh, we spend a lot of time in a coaching conversation, focusing on the individual's goals, motivations, and values. So often, you know, we say, what's your goal? Okay. How are you going to do it? What are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? And what do you need? versus what do you think about your goal? Well, like what, what's really important about that goal? Yeah. What else is really important about that goal? Yeah. What motivates you to go after yeah. that goal? Yeah. And get people really to sit in there for a long time because sometimes that's really uncomfortable for people. Yeah, and how and have your goals changed loved, over time? And they, you, right, know, you started right. off here, we talked about that last year, you don't necessarily need to be married to that anymore. Can you envision a scenario where your goals may change or how is the economic climate or the, the leadership mm -hmm. climate or whatever, you know, changed or, um, you know, led you to maybe some different kind of a thing? So yeah, all those right. exploration questions versus, all right, time for my annual review, let's march in, march out and not waste anybody's time. But I love right. how you're taking this concept of a coach approach to change a culture is what you've done. You've just made that yeah, part of the yeah. expectation that this is how we engage with each other. Yeah. Now we, we, we would love to see, you know, folks, you know, uh, grasp a coaching culture. We know there's a lot of coaching that's going on in medical, in the medical school space. Some of it's performance coaching, some of it's academic coaching, some of it's life coaching. And I think, you know, for medical students, residents and fellows, and even junior faculty who are still trying to figure out who they are and what they're supposed to be doing, you know, there's all this provincial professional identity stuff. Right. Um, there's lots of opportunity for applications there as well. And I, and I think, you know, I care a lot about my senior faculty, too, who, you know, maybe nobody's ever really had a transition conversation mm -hmm. with them. And mm -hmm. maybe they've never really thought about what life might be like if they Next. didn't come to work every day, because that's all they've done for 45 years. And how can you use coaching yeah. skills in a conversation like that? And I think they can be, those skills can be super valuable to leaders who are sometimes forced to have, you know, those difficult conversations with a senior faculty member. And wouldn't it be great if it was part, just part of a general development Absolutely. conversation from the day you, day you walked into your medical school or your health system? That's right. You are so right, Elaine. Well, I know you, you, you know, you have some things you'd like to leave with us listening. I don't want to arbitrarily cut you off here, but um, this has been wonderful. I've, you know, 
I really enjoyed talking with you. What would you like to um, tell the folks listening right now? Yeah, so I, I think for, you know, we certainly learned a lot, have learned a lot, and we continue to learn about program development. And uh, I would always encourage people to do their homework, um, talk to as many people as you can about any type of program in faculty development or, or otherwise. If you're inspired and passionate about something, um, spend the time, invest the time. And, you know, we've, we've made mistakes along the way and we recognize that. And you know, we spend a lot of time doing evaluations and, you know, rework, rework, and as well as what else, how can we make this better? How can we give these folks a better experience? So um, it's never set in stone, I guess, is what I want to say. And we had a lot of frustration around that for, and still do to some extent, because we keep, we keep growing, we keep changing, we keep modifying. And, I think that's just the way it needs to be in order to keep pace with, you know, what our participants need. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I already talked about how these skills um, can be used across multiple contexts. And that's what inspires and encourages me because I know that people are not going to, they're, they're going to grasp what resonates with them. And, you know, they're, you know, folks aren't going to go out and, you know, be professional coaches or spend 100% of their time doing coaching. But if they can just hang on to one little nugget, That's right. get really comfortable with it mm-hmm. and use it and use it and use it and use it. And I guess, you know, the last thing um, that has just been so phenomenal about this work is how it's really transformed communities in healthcare. And we've seen that in, you know, our own organizations, as well as other places we go uh, and, you know, sort of present the work at the AAMC last year. You know, we did coaching up for women. How do you use coaching skills to maximize your message? Guess what? We can, you know, we can really help empower people. And that's just, it's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're exactly. This this has just got me so excited. Your coach approach, your coaching culture, underrepresented in medicine. I love how you've talked about this whole continuum of our careers: late career, mid career, early career. You're talking about different levels and ranks for junior assistant professors to executive C-suite leaders. I mean, it's just so Mm -hmm. many applications, and it's so you can be so nimble, and it's got so many ways to apply it. And I loved your, you know, your reminder, just even one thing. So academics, we were so perfectionist. And I think we tend to think, well, I, I can't do this. I don't have time to be a coach. And you've said over and over, and it's so right. You don't have to be, this is not to certify you as a coach. It's rather to glean some right. nuggets. And you don't have to have even 12 nuggets. Find one or two that resonate with you, that is comfortable with you. Practice it. It'll change your life. And, I, you, you know, it's such a... Mm-hmm. You're just, you're right on. I'm just so excited about everything you're talking about. Elaine, you have just been wonderful. This is so inspiring. I truly am um, appreciative. And I know everyone listening, if you're a faculty development leader, uh, faculty affairs, you get this. You see why this is so cool, what Elaine Schulte is doing there at Montefiore. So, um, and even if you're, and if you're a junior faculty member or any faculty member listening today, I hope this has inspired you to explore coaching at your own institution, or you can go to the website, the facultyfactory.org website and see Elaine Schulte's contact information, get in touch with her. GFA friends, she's clearly the, the one who's got this great innovative program. And I'm sure Elaine would be happy to talk with you about her coach approach and how she built a coaching culture. 
So Elaine, Dr. Elaine Schulte, the Vice Chair of Academic Affairs and Faculty Development and a Professor of Pediatrics at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore, thank you so much for being on the Faculty Factory, Elaine. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.